When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Shot Caller Podcast with me, your host, Casey Diaz and Joe Needler. You can find us online at Casey Diaz Author on Facebook, at the Shot Caller Book on Instagram, or at the Shot Caller BK on Twitter. You can always visit us at caseydiaz.net and send an email to info at caseydiaz.net for any speaking engagements or questions you might have. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shot Caller Podcast with your host, Casey Diaz, and I am the sidekick white boy Roy, a.k.a. Joel Needler. Here in Tennessee. Casey, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, right here, man. Enjoying this California weather right now. Yeah, yeah. what's it like? It's pretty good, man. You know, uh, it was a little uh, little hot for a couple of days, um, more than usual. Uh, but now we're back to normal. And, um, yeah, did you, uh, did you go to the beach like everybody else? Nah, man. Uh, nah, I didn't want to show up my hot body, you know, and... And scare everybody away. So uh, <laughs> I stayed home uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, paid attention to the quarantine. But how's Tennessee, man? How, how, what are you doing? Man, it's nice here. Uh, 50s, 60s. You know, we get some rain, a few tornadoes, you know, off of the course. <laughs> he said a few tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. That's like a, a few earthquakes over here. That's right. Yeah. 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 The thing about an earthquake is you don't know when it's coming. So you can't really be afraid of it too much, but uh, with a tornado, you kind of know if something's gonna something's happened. And the and the the, the beauty of uh, of California is that you know you get something like a three point eight, a four point oh, whatever it is, and you kind of that you don't even pay attention to it. You just kind of keep on going. You know, ah, that was just a little bumper, and and that's it. You don't even talk about it. And if you post it on Facebook, you're gonna get made fun of. Um, yeah. You know, because it's just a, a 4.0. Uh, yeah. We want to. Yeah, it's nothing. You, you, you we want to talk about the good stuff. You know, hit yeah. me with a seven. You know, we, we should do. <laughs> we should do a whole show on earthquakes, dude. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, like you in yeah, California. Yeah. Man, there were so many different ones. And you're right. It's it's different. Yeah. You know, one in the Bay Area was was pretty bad, and LA's had a couple of really bad ones. But anyway, there's a lot of little ones in between. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce him? Let's welcome him to the show. Yeah, man. Uh, we want to welcome uh, one of our very own good friends uh, here. That I met him a long time ago when uh, I was in the home mix. Um, when we were kids, we got uh, Erasmo Reyes, uh, a.k.a. What's Happening? And What's Happening? What's up, Raz, man? What you been up to, brother? I'm here, man. I'm alive and well. And uh, for someone like me, that's uh, truly a blessing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, never take it for granted. You know, always uh, looking at the glasses half full. <laughs> uh, always optimistic of, you know, what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis because I live in L.A. And anything can happen in L.A. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, but man, uh, good good to have you, brother. Uh, I know we've been talking about this 
for a minute. And, you know, he, Raz is a busy dude, man. Uh, he's all over the place with his uh, company and a uh, very productive company that he has out here. Reset Los Angeles, you know, uh, we want to uh, yeah. uh, make sure that we mention that. That's a good yeah, st- how can people get a hold of him? What, is, what does he do? Give him, let him explain a little bit. What's yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Reset Los Angeles is a design build general construction firm that uh, specializes in uh, architecturally significant uh, projects in the Los Angeles area. Uh, we do okay. uh, high-end construction, uh, anything that's neat, you know, we... We develop homes also for sale and, uh, you know, just like the word says, reset Los Angeles, you know, just yeah, right uh, paying homage to the beautiful homes in L.A. and, and, and bringing them back, revitalizing them so oh, people right can on. have a beautiful place to live. And, and and I've seen some some of his work, man, is is uh, it, it's top notch, brother, like like on the. One of those MTV uh, cribs type of things, man. You know, back in the, well, was that in the eighties? MTV cribs, or was that nineties? I don't know, whatever it was. It was. In the nineties. The nineties. All 90s. right. Um, but that that's that's the kind of stuff that he does, man. You know, really neat, very nice stuff. So, and uh, I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed. I just uh, dude, he, he needs a show on HGTV. You got to get some cameras <laughs> to yeah. follow you around, man. Yeah. So uh, you know, the the whole thought with uh, Reset Los Angeles is that. Uh, Growing up, you know, I, I was destroying a lot of things, predominantly myself and, and, and anything really around me, you know, growing up in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, Los Angeles, as we know, it was uh, the, murder, the murder capital of the world. And, you know, uh, gangs were prevalent. It's uh, how I grew up, what, what, what I would walk out of my apartment to on a day-to-day basis and yeah you know now we want to be on the flip side of that and, and create and revitalize and be awesome. a productive uh contribution to society if you will i want to know um like how was um you know we we all ended up in the same game in the whole nine yards how was your uh like growing up, what was what was growing up looking like to you? Oh man, growing up for me, uh, I had a lot of good, more bad than good, but I did have a lot of good in inside the confines of of my one bedroom apartment with probably eleven people living in it. Uh, my parents and grandparents uh, migrated from Mexico from. Jalisco, and uh, I remember, you know, I have vivid memories of, of you know, uh, my family members getting together and uh, collecting money for the coyotes to, to pay the coyotes that brought each family member over uh, from Mexico, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun growing up. In, in that environment, it was uh, very pro- poverty-stricken. Uh, I obviously didn't know the difference because that's all I knew. Um, but it was very warm. You know, my grandmother loved me. My mom loved me. My aunts loved me. I was the, the, the smallest 
person that lived in the apartment, so I'm sure that by default I got a lot of attention. You're, uh, you're the boss. You look like a pretty big guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't always the case, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Van Nuys, California, which is adjacent adjacent to Sherman Oaks and Sino and those areas. So uh, I grew up in a very high density area that that was uh, gang infested. There was a lot of drugs. Uh, there was a lot of uh, drugs at, at a very high level there. So all those things were, were very accessible to me at a very, very young age. Everybody knew where you could get what and that was part of the culture because no one had any real education uh my my parents uh both they they worked you know two jobs so i was pretty much left to the streets and i grew up on the streets and uh the only real way my mom could monitor me was a phone call right around at 6 p.m I just had to make sure I was there for that one phone call. And after that, I knew that I could be out in the street till about 11 p.m. at night when she got home from her second job. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember when I lived in, I grew up on Delano Street, and I remember at that particular moment in my life, uh, on my dad's side of the family, uh, my dad didn't grow up in the home with us uh, at no point did I ever live with my dad? So my mom and my grandmother raised me, but my dad on the, my dad's side, his mother lived about two blocks away from me. And all my cousins were from the gang and they were probably, I want to say six to 10 years older than me. And, you know, it was quite a few of them. So there was already a, a, a I kind of already had a way in. I, my family already had a name in the neighborhood, and uh, but I grew up more on the, the the Mexican side, if you will, more primitive, more hardworking, more. Uh, it wasn't like I never thought I would become a gang member because that just wasn't in the cards for my family, but. There was nothing else, really. You know, my parents didn't have any education. They had no real way of parenting me, and they had, there was no supervision. So, you know, I was left to that lifestyle. You know, I I, I remember one of the, one of the vivid memories of of my childhood. I'm talking about like five six years old. Is my grandmother telling me to go get the laundry from the dryer downstairs in a, a community laundry room? And uh, my older homies would occupy the laundry room to slam heroin and sniff paint was very popular in, in, in that era in the, in the late 70s and early 90s. And uh, like I was never afraid of that. That was part of my norm. You know, it was like kind of like, hey, excuse me, let me like get my my clothes. And, you know, I knew what they were doing. I probably didn't fully understand it at the time, but. It was just kind of matter of fact, like, excuse me, let me get my laundry and, you know, get back to doing what you're doing. Uh, and I, that's like a very vivid, vivid memory to me in my mind. And, and I say that to say that 
I wasn't like a big drug user because of that. In my mind, I knew that that's what I didn't want to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's was the very early impressions left in, in, in my, in my memory banks. Uh, you know, then it was just elementary. I grew up in a dysfunctional home in the sense that my mama, you know, had many relationships. Uh, I don't know what to attribute that to, but that was a fact, you know, she had many relationships and, uh, one of her first relationships was a very good relationship with a, a very hardworking individual. He worked for an aerospace company. Uh, he also migrated from Mexico and uh, we moved to Highland Park. And uh, I remember that they bought their first home in Highland Park, which was very, very commendable for a Mexican-American family. It was not an easy feat by any means. Not only did they buy their first home, but they bought a triplex where, you know, they had some passive income coming in. And, like, this is unheard of for people of my culture right now. But we're And then we're now talking back to the very early 80s. And I went to school in Highland Park, uh, first and second grade. But my mom was always like just very uh, a very like controversial person, very like verbally abusive to her her mates, and you know he just wasn't having it. So that marriage was dissolved. We came back to Van Nuys where we previously grew up, and you know there was other relationships that it that and these relationships formed who I am because I remember that. I got a lot of good from Salvador. He was a hardworking, industrious man. He was humble. You know, he taught me a lot of good things. Second relationship, I was taught how to burglarize, how to break into RVs at theme parks. And, you know, that that was like kind of the norm. Hey, we're going to take you to Magic Mountain, but let's slide in this uh, RV and see what what's in it. I remember the first RV that I broke into, uh, I found a gun, some jewelry, some money. And because I was small at the time, I could easily get in, in through windows and whatnot. And uh, that was also a vivid memory that I, I have in, in my mind uh, as a child. Then there was another relationship that was more of a long-term relationship for my mom and this guy was like super abusive to her like physically he would like i mean beat her down i mean the dude was a boxer and he grew up in my neighborhood uh he was pretty pretty revered by a lot of older people in in my neighborhood like he was known for like you know putting the beat down on you and this dude was beating my mom down you know, and, and a lot of it had to do with my mom being very verbally abusive. And I'm not trying to make an excuse by it by any means. We know we know and understand that that's just flat out wrong. You know, you don't you don't hit anybody, let alone a woman, you know, for any reason. But, you know, that was like my reality. And I, 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 I lived in as I'm recollecting this, there was like a fear for my mom. All the time, I, I, I had this fear, and 
uh, fast forward a little bit, I, I, I began uh, selling flowers off of the 101 freeway. I was always a hustler, you know. I, I, I sold flowers off of the 101 freeway, off of Woodman, uh, Coldwater, Laurel Canyon, and all up and down Mulholland on Beverly Glen, uh, Benedict Canyon, Coldwater Canyon. That was like fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Uh, that's how I made my money. And, and it was also a way for me to get out of the home because I didn't want to be home because there was always problems in the home. Uh, so that helped me uh, open up my mind to not only geography, but through different to different social statuses. Like I got to see very wealthy men would stop by and uh, they would buy flowers from me. But like thinking back, I would have people like just give me $100 bills. And it was like, I understand it now. Like they just respected the hustle. It wasn't maybe that they even needed the flowers. But, right. you know, that was that time. Man, that's powerful, man. Um, the, the, the thing that, that gets me is, you know, you, you mentioned four, fifth, and sixth grade. That's junior high already. That's like you know for for the regular uh, kid that that has grown up in a in a good neighborhood, um, uh, a functional family. Uh, you know, that's you know I, I have a a kid in junior high. Well, they call it middle school now. But you know he he hasn't had to do that, and and I think that you know th those as 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 um. You know, you don't want to ever think about some little kid having to do that. But that's just how you, that was the hustle. Uh, whatever you found to do, you, you, you did it. And the, the incredible thing to me is that people that understand hard work, when they see hard work from a kid or from anybody, it's respected. Whether you're flipping burgers, whether you're, you know, uh, cleaning a toilet uh, in a company, as we understand it now, as, as believers, as adults, a job is a job. Absolutely. It's a respected thing. And, you know, uh, I, we'll get into the whole gang, uh, you know, life and all that stuff. But, you know, it, 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 it really grabs me that all this time, hard, hard work will always be respected. Ethics will always be respected by working class people. The ones that are being, you know, clowns out there, and, you know, and we were, uh, we got in the mix of all that at some point, and we got into the illegal stuff, and the illegal stuff really doesn't work. It, it really doesn't. We we found that out a little bit a little bit later late in, in you know in life, um, but but hard work, man. That that's um, and w when I hear your 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 story, man, and and, and you're out there as a, as a kid, I, I remember, you know, I share about. Uh, in the book, for me, it was picking up cans with my grandma and and, and uh, uh, dumpster diving. But you, as a kid, you I didn't see it, and I know you didn't see it as 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 a uh, like wow man, I, I have to do this. You saw it as work, and that's the same thing that I saw. It. I remember uh, 
going by MacArthur Park and going to uh, this place on the corner called El Piojito. You know, know uh, (laughs) that was the spot, man. That was a big, that was like the first swap meet in LA that, that this is before the Slauson swap meet, way before that. And I remember we would go like picking up cans, dumpster diving. I had my little, uh, little broomstick cut in half with a nail on the, uh, or a, a hook on the end and boom, jump in that dumpster and grab the cans. Right. And, you know, we, we recycled them and our trip. Our trip with my grandma was going into the Pirito and then, you know, getting a little a little toy or a little thing. And you knew that you earned that. Like, I worked for this. Like, I, I walked, I woke up in the morning and got my hustle on. And, 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 you know, I got to earn this little tape recorder, whatever it was, you know, back in the days. Um, but that, man, brother, that, that's, um, that's some heavy-duty stuff. And work pays off, period. I always had a problem, and I think you have the same thing, uh, or outlook, rather, uh, of dudes that get out and can't see themselves washing the dishes, can't see themselves at a burger joint flipping the hamburgers because they've been in places. That, to me, like, I don't have time for that. And If I can just interrupt real quick, sorry, man. I just, Raz, I so appreciate your heart. It's obvious that you're a grown man now, and you have perspective looking back on how hard that was and I, I just this word perspective has come to mind that you've been through the valley and you're, you're coming out on the other side and going thank you lord how did how did i make it through all that and um, i just appreciate you sharing that i think it's going to mean a lot absolutely to our listeners and, uh, and, and and what was like um like before we even get to to the whole game culture and all that there had to be happy times too like there had to be Things that like moments that you that you could remember and go, you know what that was a that was a good moment like you know and I know that they were probably you know far apart from each other because you know that's how we grew up but could you remember something that a moment or two where man that was a happy moment man like this was really cool I think those moments for me uh, the community that we had uh, with all my childhood friends that, that sold flowers. It was it was always it was always good. Like we there was like a lot of innocence in us at that time. Like we knew, you know, we were making like twelve to seventeen dollars a day, which for us was a <laughs> lot of money. Like to have the liberty to go to McDonald's or any little fast food restaurant was like wow, I can do this. I could go in and, and get a, a number one or, you know, what have you, because that was like non-existent growing up in, in, in our home, you know, uh, my mom, she just made enough money to, to provide really to pay the rent and, and to provide, you know, like minimal essentials. But, uh, those were, were, uh, great moments. And, uh, you know, what as, as I was, uh, getting emotional and and it was they're like good emotions yeah they're they're like you know uh i remember those were the first times i ever saw a jaguar a ferrari the first time i ever saw a rolex watch and like i have these these impressions in my mind that they're vivid they're (laughs) vivid you know uh like very well dressed 
gentlemen that would just come by and smile at me and like I understand it now that like they just respected the hustle like or maybe they could identify with it in some way shape or form you know I don't know but uh those were happy moments for me they really were you know and, and some of those guys are are still friends with me today some of them most of them are business owners today. Wow. You know, I would say at least four that I know that I still keep in contact to date are very, very successful business owners to date. You know, they're they're good people to date. Uh, you know, that, that, that was like my adolescence, if you will. I, I, I went when I was in elementary fourth fourth fifth and sixth grade it was elementary it wasn't middle school back then uh i went to chandler elementary which was on the other side of the tracks if you will it was like a pretty affluent uh school in the sense it was a public school but it was where the kids from sherman oaks went to school so like my developmental stages mentally academically the way i comprehended things and and uh also having that exposure to something other than what i grew up in yeah. that really shaped my mind and left a lot of good impressions in my mind uh it obviously from an academic standpoint it helps you to comprehend things a lot faster than the average person that is growing up in your geography. So all those characteristics make you an effective leader, if you will, where you're kind of in the decision making of like, hey, check it out. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And by default, everyone's kind of following you. Unfortunately, for bad in in this particular era of my life but you know as i think back i know that that these moments defined me def define me uh they develop my mind you know yeah. and and i'm a big proponent of reading a big proponent of 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 learning and and you know just i've had to do it all on my own it's not like uh from a formal institution if you will, it's really just me saying like, man, you know what? I, I, I want to be able to talk to anybody on any level at any given time. I don't want to be embarrassed if I if I I'm talking to a lawyer or a doctor or whomever, you know, like I just want to have the confidence to be able to just sit there and, and conversate with them about anything. <clears throat> so that was kind of like my driving force in my later years when I started going to prison that, you know, I didn't want to be the same person that I came in, you know. Uh, at, at what point, like, you know, you shared the, about the laundromat, you know, the community laundromat, you go out there and you're getting the, the the clothes and stuff from the dryer. And obviously you know that or you don't know about whether they're, they're gang members themselves or not. Because I think at that age, we, you know, I remember the first gang member that I ever bumped into, I was, I think, at fourth grade or third grade. I wasn't paying attention to 
to that. I, I think when you live in an environment like that, um, at that age, you you just you're really not paying attention until later on. So what what was that later on to you where you 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 start seeing and understanding? Well, you know, I live in a in a gang culture here, and and what 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 was it that kind of like attracted you to joining? How did that look? I think that I I understood that at a very young age. I I was aware of my surroundings. I mean, I lived in the epicenter of my gang, like where I grew up. That particular street and uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, it, it has a pretty large geography, um, but the epicenter was where I lived. So, I mean, the walls were written. Uh, I was very well aware that they were gang members, uh, that I lived in a gang culture. As I stated before, all my, my first cousins, they were off from the gang. Uh, so I was aware of it, but I also had a very strong influence from my mother, my grandmother, and my uncles. And that was like also like frowned upon and looked down upon from a, a standpoint that like these dudes are, are low lives. They don't work. They're drug addicts what have you. And, you know, I want to, I, I would say that there's a lot of truth to that. However, there's some ignorance and some bias, uh, overtones there because, you know, as we get older, you know, we know that if you have a husband and a wife in a home, if your wife doesn't work and she can care for your children, take them to school, pick them up from school, there's going to be a very heavy influence in that child's life. You know, if their structure, if God is in place, you know, it's very, very different. It's like night and day. I still at that eight, at, at, in my adolescence, there was more of my mother's influence on me than, than my father's influence. And I didn't really want to become a gang member. But on my mother's side, all my uncles sold drugs on a very high uh, scale. It just wasn't viewed negatively. It was just work. They themselves did not use drugs, but that was a means of survival. Otherwise, they were stuck working at Mission Tortilla for min for minimum wage because that's where a lot of my family members work at Mission Tortillas and like it's minimum wage. So, you know, I also had that influence. I knew that they were selling dope straight up and it was just viewed as es trabajo, it's work. And even today, there's a term like, hey, do you have any work? Do you have any dope? That's the verbiage that people use. And, you know, it wasn't that they were using drugs. I later in my adult life was in prison with my uncle that got busted with several kilos of cocaine. Uh, my grandmother used to come with my mom and they would visit us on the same yard in prison, ironically. Uh, so there was like a, just a very negative, negative uh, uh, upbringing even though 
I don't think that they they viewed it that way, and they didn't know that it was that. But fact of the matter, it really was because that made me want to sell dope. I saw that they had a lot of money, you know, and it was just very easy for me as I got a little older. I knew who was selling dope. I knew that someone could go and, and give me a couple of ounces of weed and I could flip them and, and make money. I could buy me some Nikes, some Levi's. I could go to the Sherman Oaks Fashion Center and spend, you know, two, three hundred dollars on clothes. And it was nothing to think about, you know, where like I was making more money than my parents at like 15, 16 years old without question. So... That was also part of an element of my upbringing. It, it wasn't like the, the, the driving force of my life, but it was, ironically, I was the guy that always had a job. I always held a job. Like a, like a real, a real, real job. job. And, 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 not a holly, a and, real job. And, and these jobs were like in, in predominantly affluent areas. So I always had like, the best of both worlds where I worked with people that were like function functioning at a high level of upper management in their respective positions. And, you know, I was like the little, the little Mexican from Van Nuys and, you know, they, they really liked me. They wanted to help me along in my thinking and they did, they did. But guess what? I always had to come back home. I always had to come back to the hood and what was going on at that age is like people are trying to kill people where I'm from. That was just my reality, you know? So I had to get myself a gun to protect myself. Uh, I got shot at the age of 15 years old uh, before I met Casey in camp. Uh, I want to go back to this one pivotal moment uh, in in my life where I got home. I was probably about fourteen years old, and and I and I got home from somewhere I don't know from where, but uh, my mom's boyfriend was was like beating her in in the bathroom, like I mean, beating her like a man. And you know, at this point, I was like, I'm done with this. And I saw this big uh, Lasonic tape uh, boombox, if you remember yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. And I smashed it over the back of his head as hard as I could. I mean, I, I really hurt the guy. And I ran, you know. Uh, I ran because I was scared of him. <clears throat> he was a grown man. And uh, I never really went back home after that because I, I, w I was fearful. Uh but I did land up going home. He kind of got over it. He always had guns in the home. And uh, prior to me getting shot, he had a, 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 a nine millimeter, a small nine millimeter, brownie nine millimeter. And I took it. I took it from the drawer. And I took it with the intention of never giving it back to him. And so he told my mom, you know, hey, uh, Erasmo took my gun. You know, I don't know what the conversation was, but my mom came and she hit me up. She's like, hey, what, what's up with that gun? When she hit me up about it, I bypassed him. I bypassed my mom and went to him 
And I remember telling him, if you ever hit my mom again, I will kill you. And that was in response to where's my gun and really saying, you're not getting the gun back. In fact, if you hit my mom again, I'll kill you with your own gun, straight up. And uh, obviously, I'm not proud of that, but that that was, uh, I remember that also very vividly in my mind and you know that after after that it, it just like it was a snowball effect of of you know I was like by that point I was really immersed in the gang in in the culture of the gang uh everybody that was like four five six seven years older than me really embraced me because I was like I was really doing a lot of things in the neighborhood and uh the small group of individuals that I associated with, uh, we we later we later uh, adopted a name for our little group that was comprised of of uh, different little factions within my neighborhood, and it was uh, SEAL Team Six. We were known as SEAL Team Six. Like <laughs> we are the ones that will get in and get out whenever you want. The grimiest work done, like, it'll be us. Don't worry. Just kind of step aside. We got it. You know, and it, it was kind of like uh, unspoken of for a lot, a lot of years. But that was like really the reality of, of who we were in the neighborhood to where like individuals that were a lot older than us. And, and, and I understand now is because that they really understood that we were fearless, that they fear that they feared us. Like, man, these guys will really give it to you. So I'm just gonna kind of step aside and let them do what they do. I'm not gonna be in the opposing party. And uh, you know, we were like very, very vocal. You know, my my neighborhood where I grew up is is uh, extremely structured. Uh, it prides itself as being the only gang in that city which is pretty unheard of in 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 one city um so there was like a lot of structure uh growing up for me in the gang culture like a lot of things were were laid out like fundamentally that made us very effective and and I would say feared you know uh, <clears throat> in Casey's story it's similar that uh, there's there's the structure you talk about there's leadership it's respected you do what they say there's a hierarchy there's you know uh and, and you you just echoed the same thing i mean casey that was true in your your time as well right i mean there was a leader and anyway. yeah and, and 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 you'll find that very uh commonly so uh in, in a gang culture where you know an older um an older cat is what we would call him would take you under his wing, kind of show you the ropes. And if you, if, if the right person took you under their wing, well, everyone else took notice of that. And why is it that you're getting like this favor, right? Uh, why is it that, you know, in your case, how come Raz is with homeboy and such and such? That gives you a little, a little clout uh, out on the streets and, and it separates you from the regular dude that, that's just sitting on the corner you know, with, with a 40 ounce doing nothing but holding up the walls. 
you know, and, and, and in every gang, there's that. There, there's that, that element where, and in fact, there's more of that than, than there is the dudes that are actually putting the work in and doing, you know, and what I mean by that is they're going out there and, and doing some, some pretty, uh, pretty drastic uh, measures to different, um, you know, rival gangs. But yeah, that that's that's very commonly known, and you know, you, you, and it, and it does. It's like, you know, I actually never really sat down with with you and and, and you know, shared that kind of stuff. So hearing it to me, it's like, wow, man, that's like a mirror. That's a mirror of of you know, and, and it's very common that that in in uh, in neighborhoods that such as ours is is you grow up. Um, most likely you come from a single parent home or or even if there is a male figure, it's usually not the right male figure that you need from the gate. Like it's always somebody that that's that's down low, somebody that's that's up to up to no good, and you hate the home. Like you I would I hated coming home. I hated coming home and, and I didn't have like the like it was my biological dad that was at the pad and I, I just hated coming home because I knew that something was going to jump and you know, you're a kid. What are you going to do? You know, uh, that's a grown man. What are you going to do to defend your mom? I mean, you could get in the way for only a second and you're going to be pushed out of the way and, and the plummeting gets worse on your mom. And that's just, you know, that's how it was. But so now you're, 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 you're in the neighborhood, you're in a gang. And so you start, you know, what, 14, 15 years old then, when, when you walk into it, or is it right before that? I've never been jumped into my neighborhood, which is, is not common for uh, gang culture in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, any time I've ever told my story is like, I, I like I was always from Van Nuys. That's unusual. By, by, by default, you know, yeah, yeah. I was always, and it's a pretty known fact that I, I had have never been jumped in uh legitimately if you will yeah. to the gang but you know i was i was riding bbns as early as 12 years old 13 years old as as i i remember when i stole flowers i used to write uh on walls in in very affluent neighborhoods so much so that i once wrote in a in a judge's uh neighborhood and they came looking for me you know so Towards the tail end in sixth grade, I was already in. I was already in. You know, I was already. You know, I would take my backpack full of spray cans and, <laughs> and I would write on walls. I used to love to write on walls. You know, there was this uh, euphoric feeling of, of people knowing your name, uh, that notoriety that you know you 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 would write in like the craziest places where. Pretty much, you would get caught. It, it was always the risk factor that drove up the adrenaline. I was sought after for for writing in that judge's uh, uh, neighborhood, and I got like this crazy amount of community service <laughs> at something called the Jaws program. The Ju Jaws Ju program. Juvenile, juvenile <coughs> authority work. Uh, juvenile Alter uh, alternative work services was the acronym for that. I I had totally forgot about the Jaws program, bro. <laughs> that was a real thing. That was horrendous. <laughs> Saturday in the mornings, right? Early, early in the early morning. In the morning. You morning. had to be there at seven, I believe. Yep. 
<laughs> so you're at the out of the pad, like around six. And they would always send you far for this Jaws program. And I was basically, you know, picking up uh, uh, trash from the, the, the a community or painting uh, over graffiti, whatever the cause was. But it was early in the... I forgot about the Jaws program, bro. Right, my mom would take me early in the morning. <laughs> uh, you know, it, like, life was moving very, very fast for me at, at, at this time. Like, I lived this double life, you know, as I got a little bit older. Uh, man, it's, it's just crazy thinking back, you know... Uh, everything that, that we were doing at the time uh really just to survive and to live and you know there, there there was there was a lot of good memories though ironically there was a lot of good memories like you know i i, I had some good times but you know the consequences overshadowed everything you know uh, i landed up getting shot at the age of 15 i almost died uh they removed my kidney uh which is a problem at this particular moment in my life <laughs> it's a problem but those were like the consequences of, of uh me having a girlfriend in one of my rival gang's neighborhood and uh i remember that uh shortly after that uh I went to uh, North Hollywood High School, and, and I remember getting an altercation there and getting kicked out. I got arrested, and uh, I went to camp. I, I got sent to camp uh, for kicking some guy in his nose. And really, it was more out of fear than anything because my abdomen was, was open. Uh, I, I had a fresh wound. And I knew that this guy was my rival, and, and and he hit me up. He asked me where I was from, and I knew that he was my enemy. So uh, he was sitting down, and I just kicked him as hard as I could in his face. And it was going to be like my only opportunity before he really hurt me. But he, I mean, he obviously didn't know that my abdomen was in that condition, but that was more out of fear. But I landed up getting arrested for that on the spot. So, uh, so is that what sent you to that's Camp what Miller? Sent me to Camp Miller. Wow. And then it gets really cool. <laughs> <laughs> then it gets really cool because uh, uh, that's where me and you meet. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where <laughs> that's where me and Raz meet. We're uh, in Camp <laughs> Miller and in the hills of Malibu, a lot of places, right? Yeah. And uh, Raz rolled in, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, it, it was, you know, it, juvenile detention centers, the halls, we used to call them the halls or juvie. Um, you know, it, it for every young gang member, you know, somebody asked us earlier, you know, uh, how was that like, you know, as a juvenile? Uh, how was that? How was being in jail in, in juvenile hall? How was that like? And I think all of us would be able to respond in the same uh, manner. It was fun. I mean, <laughs> legitimately, that it, it was it was fun because it was like a miniature, you know, gladiator school. You 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 went in there, and that, it, the gangbang didn't stop. It actually became a little bit more interesting because you're in close quarters, and uh, there's rules that you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, you know uh, uh, respect or, or anything like that. You're just gonna you're you're setting yourself up for a name right off the uh, of the bat inside these uh, uh, juvenile halls. So we meet and uh, and. and it becomes really interesting because uh, Raz here, 
ends up um, becoming a really good friend of one of my own homeboys. And uh, uh, they ended up, uh, you know, hanging out. And, and I think that's how me and you ended up uh, uh, talking and, and, and kicking. And we both worked in the, in the laundry room. I remember that. Um, I remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, <laughs> I ended up working uh, uh, next door at the laundry room there as well. And you gave me an oldies tape. I don't know if you remember that, but you gave me an oldies tape. And I don't even know how you got that oldies tape, but you gave me an oldie tape. And uh, so when I went to work uh, um, next door, um, I'd had that, that that tape. But how was that experience for you? Like, you know, here's your first stench at, at doing time. Um, I had already been in, in and out of juvenile hall, uh, like, periodically I was in, in juvenile hall. Silmar? Silmar, predominantly Silmar. Uh, I, and I remember... <laughs> <laughs> I would call my mom and, and tell her I'm arrested, and, and she would ask me, uh, "What What did you do this time?" Uh, yeah, and you know the answer was always the same: nothing. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> I, nothing. And you know she had this little smart remark in Spanish, like, "Oh yeah, you never do nothing. Of course, you know you're you're there for nothing." Anyhow, uh, so this time I, I I get sent to camp, uh, not for a long time. I was just really, really, really active at the time, you know. I was always really active. I always thought that I had something to prove uh, for some reason. And uh, I always went out of my way uh, to look for my enemies or fight my enemies. And, you know, I, I think at the time I, I was just angry as well, you know, like all these mitigating circumstances that, that uh, my life was comprised of. That you know, even even verbalizing it now, it's like you have a a minute to think think it through. It's it's like it's just not normal, you know. I I see my kids. I I have a son that's sixteen right now. He's a, a basketball player. Plays really well. His uh, school went to the state to to play for the state championship. They didn't win, but you know they made it. There. Pretty, pretty good team, and, and he's grown up nothing like that. You know, there's always been this uh, this structure in his life and, and, and the love of his mother, and, you know, he's my first child that I've, I've raised from the very beginning, and, and he's he's special. You know, he's, he's special to me. Uh, he's always the comparison for me. Man, at his age, I was doing this or I was doing that. And that's not his reality, which is good. It's a good thing. That's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. You're a good dad. But, you know, I w I'm like a big proponent for, you know, giving my kids as much time as I can and Loving them and, and just the simplicity of life. You know, I think sometimes to, to their demise, I hope not, but I probably give them a little more than I should. <laughs> you know, and it's always followed with the, like, you know you don't deserve this, right? I'm just giving you this because I love you and, you know, your God made a covenant with me and, and that covenant extends to you, so...
<laughs> by default, you're part of that covenant. And <laughs> this is the benefit of that covenant. <laughs> we, we want to hear more about that covenant. And Casey, you can talk about how you know, Casey took the tour of all the juvenile halls in the Los Angeles area when he was younger. <laughs> but um, I want to hear about your journey, Raz, and, and how far you went in the prison system and how God worked in your life. Uh, because you're obviously a very, very different man right now, and it's powerful. How did you progress in, in the system? And did you go to Pelican Bay, or where did you end up eventually? I did. I I, I ended up at Pelican Bay uh, right, right after I left Casey. Uh, I landed up uh, picking up an attempted murder where I got tried as an adult, uh, for paralyzing a, a young individual, uh, unfortunately, and uh, I did not get convicted for the crime. Uh, but that was like something that that was uh, very out of the norm to to be tried as an adult for a crime at the age of sixteen years old. Uh, I was the first first individual in Van Nuys Superior Court to get tried as an adult for uh, 664-187. And uh, I remember the LA sheriffs would pick us up at Central Juvenile Hall and put us on a bus, you know, strip us down, shake us down, put us on a bus, and they would take us to Men's Central Jail, uh, which is LA County Jail. And they would put us directly on the bus. We would never go in the facility. They would put us directly on the bus and Obviously, because I was a minor, they would put me in the cages. And uh, the only people they put in the cages were either uh, K-10 keepaways, which was someone who was in high power, someone who was uh, a made member of the Mexican mafia or an affiliate of the Mexican mafia, or if you were uh, deemed no good and you had to be in protective custody for whatever reason maybe you were an informant or you know whatever those were the people that they put in those cages and i remember at that age when all the the whole other bus which is comprised of 90 percent of the bus uh people would just look at you like a fish in an aquarium and and, and they would almost like uh hail to the king type deal like and that's the little homie. He's fighting a hot one, and there was like this, this reverence and this, uh, this respect that you automatically uh, reciprocated from these older men that were covered in tattoos, and you know they were like the big homies. You know, uh, that was a, a vivid impression that I have in my mind, and. Uh, from that, I, I I got out from that. I was doing that for about like 14, 15 months. I was involved in that, in that case, and uh, my witnesses weren't showing up, so I was uh, found not guilty. They had to let me go, and I later uh, started my prison escapade for like just always really for small crimes, you know, uh, stealing cars, uh, selling drugs. I never, ever really, by God's grace, ever got caught for anything serious after that. Uh, 
at least nothing that I was going to court for. And to be honest, uh, I find myself having these conversations with God and, and I'm like, man, what, man, God, you've been so good to me. You know, like I don't, I don't deserve to be alive. I don't deserve certainly to be free. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't deserve that, that I, I, I have now, you know, and, we, unfortunately, in society, we measure success uh, by money and, and possessions. And, you know, those are those are all good things, you know, but I tend not to uh, measure success by that. You know, and, and, but the inter- interesting thing is God's blessed you. God has blessed you with those things. And, you know, we don't look at those things. And I know where your, your heart's coming from. It's obvious to even everybody that's listening to this. Um, but part of that, by God's grace, by God's goodness, he gives us things that we don't deserve. Because the reality is we don't deserve anything. That's, you know, when you draw up to the conclusion as a, as a Christian, <laughs> we're very deserving of hell itself. And and by the grace of God and, and what Jesus did on that cross. I mean, that, <laughs> there's moments, it doesn't have to be Easter to be thinking about these things. It, this should be like for every Christian man, for every Christian period, to sit down in, 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 that, in that moment in the morning or wherever you're going to spend time with God that day to really like wrap your head around that. It was what he did on that cross, the finished work of Christ on that cross and it doesn't have to be Easter. It should be a, a daily thing where we think about, man, God, <laughs> I don't understand why you're so good to me. Like, I don't, I don't get that part. And, you know, we, we, we work hard with our hands. We, we, we do whatever we, whatever the Bible says, whatever you find, uh, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And and that's the mentality of of um I, I think many of the guys do, that do time, um, they, they they get that in their heart and and they come out here, and and if you're truly born again, you know, and it's not some jailhouse religion, you really have a a, a relationship with Jesus. You you understand that very clearly, and 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 um, you know, and, and that's one of the things that that happens. God does bless your life. I mean, uh, I look at your. Uh, you know, I look at your life, dude, and, and and I see like God's hand on your life, in, in your family. Um, uh, you know, he 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 has this his Instagram, and you know, I follow it, and and I see it, man. I see the devotion that you have with your kids. I see one of my favorite ones, and I'll tell you here uh, uh, while we're on the podcast. I look forward to when I see you walking with your little boy. With uh, Joshua, is yeah, that correct? Yeah. And his little dog. He has a little dog. Ajax. Ajax, that's his name? <laughs> Ajax the Great. Ajax the Great. And they walk, bro. Like, they walk down the street and around their neighborhood or wherever that is. I'm assuming it's around your neighborhood. neighborhood. And, and and when I look at footage of that, that right there, for a person, for people like us, that right there is the blessing of God. Because we didn't live that. We didn't have that. 
quick, if, if we wanted to find Raz on Instagram, what's what's your handle on Instagram? Uh, it I have two Instagram accounts. One is a personal Instagram account. They're both public. I have nothing to hide. Uh, <laughs> one is a Raz Contractor, and that will display my life as it is, uh, both work and, and family and whatever I'm doing on any given day, I... I tend to document it, uh, just and and really, I am who I am in, in Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm I'm many things, you know. I'm I'm not afraid of who I used to be because I'm redeemed. Uh, I have a lot of impressions of who I used to be. Obviously, <laughs> like the rappers say, I'm I'm from the gutter. You know, I'm I'm literally from the gutter, you know, and, and, and I've overcome that in, in Christ, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that in any way, shape or form, you know, uh, my well of knowledge comes from the Bible, the wisdom that I benefit from and get to apply is, is from the Bible itself. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm just extremely blessed. I'm, I'm just on a day to day basis and, and truly, those walks with my son are probably to me the most rewarding of my day to day where I get to dialogue with a two year old boy that's super animated. You know, he's he's definitely going to be a, a powerful instrument of God. I could see it in his character, you know, how he he, he rationalizes things and, and his day to day uh, antics, if you will. Uh, but it's, it's, it's very, very rewarding for me to take those walks with him. You know, it's when I feel free where, where I feel like I'm just carefree, you know, and, and we know that life isn't that way for adult males that are responsible for a wife and children that run a business. You know, that's just not real life. You know, you have a tremendous amount of responsibility and, you know, as Casey was stating from the scripture, you know, there's the scripture that says whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all unto the glory of God. And, you know, as you you uh, function in in the word, you know, and, and nothing's perfect. I don't want to paint this perfect picture like I'm this really great guy, because ultimately I'm, I'm like Paul very much. So I'm the chief of sinners. I, I, I know what I've been delivered from and I'm aware to a very, very high degree what I've been delivered from and, and I'm yeah. very conscious of it. Like to work hard. I like to make money. I, you know, uh, I abide by these scriptures that say that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And, you know, I, I definitely don't drive a Mercedes I don't think there's anything wrong with driving a Mercedes, <laughs> but I just allocate my money a little bit differently. You know, uh, I love shoes. <laughs> yeah. he, he's right about that. But, you know, uh, point is that I, I find a lot of pleasure in the simplicity of life. You know, drinking a cup of coffee, reading, uh, enjoying a hike with, with the friends that I have. Uh you know, spending time with my wife, uh, man, my wife's been through a lot with me. You know, I, I proposed to my wife real quick while uh, 
I was on the floor during a raid. My wife was 18 years old at the time, and we were caught up in a raid at probably about <laughs> like at 5 a.m. in the morning with, uh, gosh, I don't even want to exaggerate, with 30-plus uh, heavily uh, protected police officers uh, that raided the place where I was staying at at the time. You know, that's, that's how I proposed to my wife while, while we were on the ground handcuffed. You know, I knew that I was going to go away for quite some time. And, you know, at that time, there was a lot of self-interest involved in that, you know, if I'm honest with myself. But today I know that God had a plan. God had it worked out that way because he put us in a place where we really got to know each other. And uh, I was away from her physically for four years. and, And it was really just us getting to know each other. You know, like, really, who who are you? And, and to me, that's beautiful because my wife married me for me. We've been together for 21 years. I w- you know, as they say, the cliche, I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm kind of like jumping all over the place from different time periods, but I'm trying to <laughs> paint a picture <laughs> but, but you, these are powerful stories bro I, i'm i'm willing to <clears throat> sit back and let you tell these stories which is awesome casey i mean how many people propose in handcuffs on the floor surrounded by 30 police <laughs> <laughs> lapd right <laughs> in full right gear. in full right <laughs> gear i mean it, hey it doesn't get more romantic than this people <laughs> <laughs> Hey, and she said yes. And she said yes, brother. That's a real uh, ride or die right there. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, brother. (laughs) But you know, here's the cool part, though. You know, like, again, I I see your your, your story, um, you know, and and we keep in touch uh, quite a bit. We're always, you know, just simple talk. I mean, just, you know, um, we always have good conversation. And um, one of the things that, that, that I see about Rans, and I'll tell you this, like, straight up, I haven't seen and, and um, someone that loves their, their wife like, like I see you do. And, and it's apparent, bro. Like, you know, one of the things that I've always been made fun of is, you know, even in the church, and, you know, I'm a pastor and stuff, and by the grace of God, that, that actually happened, right? But I even lack in that department. I'm very, and I don't know what it is, man, I'm, uh, they've always questioned me, you know, we never see you holding your wife's hand. And, uh, you know, me and my wife have a, <laughs> Joe, you know, you know, Sana. She's we have an inter- fast, You can't hold her hand. She's, <laughs> she's moving too fast. Too That's right. <laughs> she, she's always up to something. So I got to catch up. But, but one thing that I always see, man, like you're, you're always like putting your, her up on the platform. And I, I, I don't think that that you're doing that. So that people can see, I really think that that is your relationship, and you, you can see it. You know, there, there's there's people that you need that every one of us need to learn from, and and in in that area, brother, I, I'll tell you straight up, I, I I'm admire, I admire you for that, man, because I need some help in that department. You know, I, I really do, man. I, I we've been married about the same time. You know, the 21 years going on 21 years on July 3rd. You know. I, <laughs> I joke about about it because uh, I paroled on July third, and I got married on July third. So I got locked up all over again <laughs> on the same date, people. Uh, but <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's it's you know, you look at people 
certain friends of yours or colleagues or, or, you know, people that you work with on a day-to-day basis. And I look at people and I try to learn from them, you know, uh, whether it's what not to do or what to do. And in, in Raz's case, I, I look at how you really, um, man, dude, you, you really, you always have something good to say about your wife. You always have something encouraging. And, and, and um, you know, she's not on social media, like, uh, I don't think, like, as much as you are. No. But, but dude, uh, that, that's very admirable, brother. Uh, and I think you're doing a phenomenal job in, 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 as a husband. And, and like, like you said, you know, we're not here to paint a, uh, a pretty picture because <laughs> if you've been married, you know that it, there, there's, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage that, that just doesn't exist, but there is such a thing as a great marriage. And, and that's a marriage that's being worked on from both ends and you're both putting 100%, you know, in it, you're, you're faithful to the Lord. And I just see your life world like, like you're a product of what Christ can do in the heart of a man. And it doesn't matter what, what, how, you know, checkered that, that past was. It doesn't matter what you did in the past at all. It's what Christ has done, you know, 2,000 years ago. And then you, you grab that and you live by it. And, you know, it could get messy here and there. And, it, could, it you know, we fumble. You know, there's flags on the field, flags on the play here and there. But at the end of the night, you, you know, you're able to go to bed with 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 your wife, and 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 you have to give account to the Lord. Like when He says, "Don't go to your bed angry," you got you got to like really uh, not go to bed with your wife angry, and 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 squash whatever it is that 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 got in the way in, in that day, and you know, go to sleep in peace and and in forgiveness and in prayer. Look. You know, I think that like the perception uh, perception of of pastors or or Christian men is that they always read to their wives early in the morning, that they always hey you know they're the first ones that get up and and you have their coffee ready for them and and the Bible is open and hey we're gonna have a little Bible study before we you know start off our day. Not in the Diaz household. That's the that's just you know in the Diaz household, it, it it's a lot of work like. You know, and I, I remember just not too long ago where I got called out by my wife and, and she said, you know, this is what I miss. There was a time where you were doing this. this is, there was a time where, where you were being that priest of the household. And you're not right now. And those are some heavy words, man, <clears throat> to, that, that you have to make a choice. Like, dude, <laughs> you could be a knucklehead and go, no, no, no. You got it all mixed up. Or you could go, <laughs> I need to change in this area. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better, as, as, you know, in, in, in anything. It's a progression. It, it's a progression. You got to put the work in. It doesn't just happen. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, uh, for my wife. I don't say it as much. And we joke around so, uh, so much that I think sometimes I forget that I do need to tell her. How much I appreciate her, how much and and not just on a podcast, but like in person, tell her, you know, how much I appreciate her and all that. But man, you know, looking at your story and now, you know, you made it out of the joint. <laughs> that alone, right? I mean, that alone and 
you know, we live in a in a in a situation in prison where, you know, the common name of it is the revolving door, and and we've been through that. You know, you're in, you're out. Uh, sometimes you're in before you, you know, before the weekend is over, you're back in, um, and then you got the long terms and the short terms, all that. But to 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 see the revolving door stop, can it happen to anybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. You just got to want it. You know, I got, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you have uh, cats that come across you and I've had the same thing where they'll use an excuse of why they don't want to straighten up. And, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, they, they do continue that kind of lifestyle in and out. And at, at what point do you actually man up and, and go, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I'm 60. At what point do I stop playing the games? And I think uh, for us, it, it, it was the Lord. Absolutely, it was him that put the brakes on us and, and the conviction came upon us that the only way to change that is I, I need to want that change. And I need to put structure in my life. I need to find a church. I need to find men of like-minded faith to help me. That'll that'll not be afraid to call me out on on my mistakes on my downfalls. I think we need that. Like in churches, we need that, and as men, we need each other. Like to to hold each other accountable and to ask the tough questions, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> the worst thing that you could have in life is yes friends, friends that just you know uh, they'll go along with your mistakes. Uh, it's all good, you know. Right. It's, you know, it's all good. Don't worry about that. That's that's a small thing. But it's a, a, a habitual sin in our life, whatever that is. And if if you have nothing but yes friends, well, <laughs> you need to change that friend that 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 friend circle because you need to get some 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 individuals, some fellas that that'll say, Hey man, uh I wanna pray for you on, on this thing. This is something that I see. And we shouldn't take offense of it. We should go, all right, you know, well, let, let this, let's join in prayer and let's do this. I'm proud of you, brother, man. I, I, like, on the reels, like, to see your life. And, and uh, I've known you for a long time. I'm, and it's cool how we even met out here. Because I hadn't seen you in, in the joint or yeah. in, 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 and we were in pretty much at the same time. I, you ended up doing a lot more time than I did. Um, but... You know, we ran into my my brother, and and <laughs> Raz happened to be the guy that my brother hired to to uh, his construction uh, company to hire to to do some work uh, on his first townhome that he had bought. And Raz is sharing his story. And why don't you tell us about that? I mean, uh, I get a call from a gentleman and and his wife to go uh, assess this townhouse, and you know they want to do some work. Or- we agree we're doing it uh in the interim uh, he starts telling me that he's a christian and i was like oh that's cool uh i'm typically not going around telling people that i'm a christian you know it's it's more i think in in my older age i'm i think people should see it it should transmit in 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 one way or another you know i'm i'm not by any means uh, religious uh, I don't try to uh, lord things over people if you will you know I think that 
we're all at different stages in, in our walk and, and you know, uh, the Holy Spirit knows me just as much as he knows you. And if he wants to tell you something, he's going to get a hold of you one way or another. You know, obviously, if you're doing something in front of me and I know you're a Christian, you know, I'll tactfully uh, say something about it, you know, in love. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I was doing the work at Casey's brother's house and he starts telling me that he has a, a brother that uh, went through a similar upbringing as me and that he's from a particular gang in Los Angeles. And, you know, uh, me being the gang guru that I am based <laughs> on my on my prison stints, uh, I was naturally curious, like, oh, yeah, where's your brother from? And he, he tells me he's uh, from Rockwood. And I'm like, yeah, I know some people from Rockwood. He's, uh, who do you know? And he, Casey's always the first name that comes to my mind when, you know, I, and I know a number of people from Rockwood, but Casey always stands out. So I say, yeah, I know, I know Casey from Rockwood. He's like, what? That's my brother. I'm like, really? <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, what's up? What's up with your brother? He tells me what he's up to, you know. I don't remember if he called them that in that instant, but somehow he connected us and, and I went to go see him. Ironically, his shop is in my old neighborhood. Uh, and I went to go visit him and, and you know, we we reunited. I, I was I don't know if he knew I was a Christian or not at, at that time. or But uh, it, it was it was good. You know, he was one of those people that is, is pleasurable to to reconnect with and you know I saw what he was doing and you know there was a a, a sense of, of progress in his life uh, he was married he had some children similar to my life you know we're coming from the same same background uh, and that that's how we we reconnected uh, through that job uh, with his brother and you know full circle that that was quite a long time ago had yeah. to be at least 12 to 14 years something like that yeah but yeah that's that's how we had an opportunity to to reconnect and and we know that you know god god works all things for the good of those who love him and that's know, right. we're here at the shot collar podcast you know able to uh give god some glory through through our life, you know, I, I don't share my story too often with people because it, it it's it's re it, it's a really grimy story, you know. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of darkness to it, you know. Uh, I I I've never been in prison for a long period of time, uh, in comparison to some of my counterparts, you know, uh, all the people that I grew up with uh, as as a very very young man are just now getting out of prison you know 20 plus years later 21 years 23 years 28 years and and a lot of these individuals were were housed in in pelican bay and in, in the corcoran shoe program you know we just we, we grew up in this era where where the gang culture was prevalent it was a very very influential upon our life uh in terms of if you were at the top of the food chain in 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 your respective uh 
geography or, or gang, uh, you, you kind of pursued the same, the same things in prison, you know, uh, and sometimes you don't pursue them. Sometimes it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's your, your environment. You're in an environment where, where things are happening and, and, you know, you talk about structure prison for, for Mexicans in, in California is very, very structured, you know, especially if you're going to these, uh, upper level prisons, uh, at, at that time, you know, I don't know what prison is like today. It's, uh, declined drastically but uh at that time it it was uh you know the the it, it was the, the same thing it, it it was like how can how can i get to the top how can i be around the 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 movers and shakers of of the california prison system and uh you know i i i landed up going to uh corcoran uh, state prison and this was on a violation I, I i got shot at and got violated for gang activity for getting shot at i was quote unquote the victim i wouldn't <laughs> deem myself a victim by any means because that was the lifestyle that i was uh, living in uh, you know any given day you could get shot at. that was just a day in a life like you know you duck you make sure you didn't get hit no one in your car got hit and you move on about your business, you know, you might have to cover up some bullet holes or not, you know, that was life in the hood, you know, <laughs> at this particular time I got shot at and I got a year violation and I went to, uh, something called the RTC return to custody. But it just so happened that that RTC was getting converted to a level four facility, which is the highest, uh, it's like a super maximum security prison and they had these buses uh they were turning the yard over and they had buses coming from pelican bay from new Folsom state prison from tehachapi 4b from uh calipatria like all the the maximum security prisons were were coming to this prison and they were making a full a full yard well in that you get good and bad you know from a political standpoint you know good meaning uh people that are in good standing in in uh their respective gangs and then the people that have uh, faltered in some way shape or form uh are deemed to be no good they're deemed to to be wanted and they're pretty much going to get stabbed on the yard that's what's gonna happen uh so I, I i i'm on this yard and it's turning over and long story short you know i get caught up in, in something that that landed me uh in the corporate shoe program in the very early 1990s and corporate shoe program you guys can youtube this or do the research on it uh there were uh, federal indictments given to a lot of uh, CDC officers in Corcoran because they were staging fights with uh, inmates and betting on them in the Corcoran shoe yards, uh, predominantly by uh, northern and southern Mexicans, but not excluding anybody else. You know, we were just 
the prominent members within in these uh, ad seg administrative segregation and and the SHU is an acronym S H U is security housing unit. That's where you were held if you were deemed uh, a safety and security uh, a threat to the safety and security to the institution, and they would give you these determinate uh, sentences in the shoe program and if you progress they would give you points and they would give you more time to be housed in this uh shoe program and at the time uh there was like this big feud going on between uh northern and southern uh inmates as well as uh black and white inmates and you know it was just this big big war going on at the time and and you know it was kind of like it was really a a gladiator school everyone was on a on a physical regimen where where you were mandated to be in top physical condition because you were going to come out and basically fight for your life uh because ultimately the the correctional officers were going to shoot you you know in these altercations and uh, this is all documented. You guys can look it up, whether it's on YouTube or do 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 the research on it. But you know, I was in the Corcoran Shoe program in the early '90s when all this was going on, and you know, that's something else that kind of shaped my personality and 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 who I was as uh, a gang member in prison and in 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 my geography and in my gang. The early stages of my life were, were were very rational, if you will. I had like a sense of normalcy, and then now reading Romans, I know that I have a conscience that bears witness against me. <laughs> I knew the difference between right and wrong, and I never went to prison doing a long time. So I kind of, in my own way, stayed out the way, but. I also got into the mix by default because things were going on around me and, and it was inevitable that I was going to get involved. You know, Casey was literally in a solitary confinement cell 23 hours a day, you know, and he was visited by a, a woman who was conducting a Bible study. You were at Corcoran. Were you, did you have a roommate or were you in solitary confinement? I mean, what was, I mean, and maybe you had both at certain points in your time, but I think my real question is if you were in solitary, what was it like for you mentally to be, you know, enclosed for that long during the day? So the shoe program is, is uh, solitary confinement. That's what it is where you're, you're 23 hours a day, uh, 23 hours a day held in your cell and then, Three times out of the seven days, you come out to yard for an hour. In Pelican Bay, it's different. You get an hour each day, but in Corcoran, it's every, uh, every other day, I believe. Uh, so I was in the shoe program, which is solitary confinement. I always had a celly for the most part. Um, how was it? I think that, that that's a... a affected my personality to date where internally I, I really have to work hard to to function because I, I have 
certain expectations of people or, or you know, uh, it made me very, very disciplined. It made me extremely analytical. That's where I, I, I read a lot. You know, there was a few people that went crazy on my tier. I got to see that. Uh, I read where these, these shoe programs were, were designed by leading uh, psychologists. To me- they're, they're designed to mentally break you down. That is uh, the end all. That's what they're hoping to do is to get you to break down and, and comply with uh, the California Department of Corrections. And, you know, this is what's been documented. It's it's my opinion, obviously. I believe it. You know, it has had some adverse effects on me where, you know, I, I, I have very high expectations for people. And, you know, that's just not the reality of life. We're all wired different. You know, everybody, you know, doesn't wake up at four in the morning, you know, like I do. Everyone isn't as driven as I am. Uh, Those have been tools that I've used that have worked for me in the free world. Out here, being free, now being, you know, a a redeemed individual and a productive member of society. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that a lot of people are just not like that. They're not wired that way. I I ironically had a celly that was not a Christian. I think the Lord was dealing with him at the time, but he always read his Bible like right around four o'clock in the morning. He would wake up and, you know, wash himself up, roll his bed up and go by the, 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 the front of the door and, and, and he would sit down and read the Bible. And I thought that like very interesting, like here we are, uh, at the top of the food chain of, of, of the gang pyramid and this guy's reading the Bible and he was like an extremely intelligent individual. You know, I used to call him the almanac because (laughs) he used to read the almanac for fun and, and he just had like facts. He had a lot of facts stored in his, in his mind. You know, he had, he had been in the shoe program for like 17 years already and he was just an extremely sharp individual. And a lot of the people that I came in contact with in uh, the shoe program, which is a prison within a prison, uh, were very, very sharp individuals. You know, you, you, you have nothing else. You better learn to love books. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, like for myself... I stopped going to school in the right around seventh grade. I would go to school, but just physically whenever I wanted to, but I wasn't doing any schoolwork. I could care less what the teacher was teaching. I wasn't there to learn. I was just there for whatever reason. It was not to learn. Yeah. But So I had already turned that switch off like in seventh grade. Uh, but... I just kept my I kept my mind busy. I told myself like, man, you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna let this place break me. I'm definitely not going crazy. And I didn't have a lot of time to do anyway. So, you know, I was only there. I think I I, I got out in '97. So I was there like for four years on that particular time. But there was so much stuff going on 
within the within the disciplinary aspect of of my stay there that I I landed up getting kicked out of Corcoran. Uh, I managed to get myself to a place called Four A Four Right, and they would that was known in our culture as the last stop. Like anybody who was uh, affiliated, they had mobsters there. Uh, like just, you know, high profile people. Uh, not, not, I wasn't high profile, but, you know, I was just involved in a lot of stuff. All by default. You know, I, I don't want to make it seem like I was this crazy individual because it was more survival than anything else. You know, I, I again, I, 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 I want to shout out Chandler Elementary and Sherman Oaks because <laughs> their academic program there is is it's pretty sophisticated, you know, and, and it always allowed me to be a cut above the rest, above my counterparts where I could like discern things like, you know, very, very quickly, you know, I could make sense of situations and uh I just kind of managed to keep my nose clean through all this politically. You know, I, I, I did get involved in stuff, and I landed up uh, finding myself on the way to Pelican Bay, which was a pretty crazy uh, a journey in and of itself. Like, just, I mean, the physical bus ride, the mentality of, of, of being on, on the bus going to Pelican Bay as... A young man, I was probably about 22 years old. And, you know, I remember it was just very quiet. It had to be quiet. You couldn't talk on, on, on the way up there. On the but bus. I was just thinking to myself, like, man, I made it. I'm I'm going to, to headquarters is what they used to call Pelican Bay. I'm, I'm, I'm going up there. But I had my heart was beating, you know, there was fear, there was excitement, there was a lot of emotions were going through through me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I made it to Pelican Bay State Prison. And uh, it was everything they said it was going to be. Well, Casey's talked about <clears throat> a hierarchy, you know, among the prison system, maybe Casey, you can point that out, like just what Raz said, that it really meant something if you went to places like Pelican Bay. You had the, you know, like I compare it, and I do a little silly comparison of it, you know, but it's it's like the Ivy League of, you know, what, what Harvard and Yale and uh, Stanford would be to a college uh, uh, education. You know, you had... Pelican Bay, you had the Corcoran Shoe, you had New Folsom, you had these 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 joints, these prison joints that that's every gang member. If you were going to be a knucklehead and you were trying to, you know, get a name for yourself, this is where you want to go. This is where you want to be at. And you know, and I think going in there, you know, I didn't go to the Bay, but you're going into a four level yard and your mentality is, is exactly what just Raz just, uh, Raz just um, described to you. You're on that bus ride and there is a, a whole bowl of emotions 
because and one one side of you, you know, and you're young, you know, 19, 20 years old. Um, you know, I was turning 18 uh, going up to New Folsom. And, and I mean, you, you think about, I have an 18-year-old daughter. I have a 19-year-old daughter as well. And, you know, I look at their lives and I go, well, what, how they're growing up right now, that's the normal. That's what society's, you know, uh, cheers. And you're going on a bus to a level four yard, that bowl of emotion is excitement. It's uh, now the homeboys are going to talk about me. I'm going to have a good name, right? And I don't care who you are. Here's the thing. I think, in, in, and some cats won't admit it, but fear is one of them because you just don't know what's going to happen when you hit that yard. You don't know what's going to happen when you're out of that bus. You know, this is not, this is not fun and games anymore. You know, um, and, and in your head, you're, you're thinking, I made it. I'm somebody now. It's an unfortunate way of thinking, but that is how we thought. You know, when, when I was in the county jail, you had 9,500. I don't know if you ever uh, shot there. 9,500, that's, that's a dorm that was just a shake-and-bake uh, dorm. You were going to get into a riot in there. You were going That's like your first stepping stone. And then if you ended up in the game module, then you got, you know, you got suited in a clown suit and uh, you were made in there. You were, you were somebody that was looked at and uh, your homeboys, you know, they see you going into court wearing that jumpsuit. You're a hit turner. People look at you. And those are, those are like goals. Those are places that we admired. Those are places that, you know, if you were... A, a gang member that was actually, you know, putting in work, that's where you wanted to go. Um, does it affect you? I think so. I think, it, and, and I like what Brad said, it affects you in, in two ways. One, it gives you structure that you probably didn't have before, and it's a whole different structure. And then two, you do, you do look at people and, you know, when they don't show up on time, when they, when they, when they drop the ball here and there, in the back of your mind, I think it stays with you. Like you have something to say, and you gotta like put your your <clears throat> yourself under control and and go. No, I'm out here, and I gotta. This is a the whole different jive. This is a whole different game out here, and I can't act like uh, like I used to act. You know, I had a, I have a friend um, who, um, and I'm hoping that that he'll come on uh, on here. Uh, he lives a. Uh, uh, out of state, and he's a very good, very good close friend of mine. His name's Angel, and uh, I'm hoping that that, that he, uh, when he's in town, that that he joins us. But you, you know, this dude. Here's uh, and I, when I look at his life, you 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 look at uh, somebody that's not Chicano, and there's and then there's that side too, because uh, for the majority of that whole game, it's all Chicano, it's all Mexican Americans. And uh, then you have Darwin Diaz, right? El Darwin. Like, you better prove yourself really quick that, you know, you better do something really quick because uh, hide the name, you know? <laughs> but that that is. And, and then, you know, you look at uh, people like Angel. There, there's so many. There's so, it's so, um, how, do I, how do I explain this? Intricate? It's intricate. It is. Because you have cats that, you know, like like Angel, that, 
here's a Japanese American dude, and he's in the mix with us. He's in the mix, and he makes it all the way to the bay as well. Then he comes out, and I, you know what's very interesting is that everybody that comes out of a shoe or a, a just a, a full of uh, four level yard, the one thing that everybody has in common that I've seen, and I'm pretty sure that you have as well, they become business owners out here, or they they become somebody that's actually doing something for themselves, for the most part. And then you have the guys that you know, you know, did wino time or, you know, in and out cats that just they're stuck and and i don't know why that is but by the grace of god he provided people and and situations to alter you know a a a a continuance of that kind of lifestyle that's a whole lot different on this side of the fence yeah so you know in 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 that experience you know i i i see how through all those circumstances, you know, I like I said, I've never done a lot of time at any given time, but I've been in all the key prisons at a, a moment in time where the biggest players were at that moment in time. I was always showed favor, always showed favor by the one percenters, if you will. I think a lot of it was, you know, I, I, I was kind of like a quiet individual more for the sake of everyone's eager to please for all the wrong reasons. And that was never really my personality. Like, you know, I, I saw these individuals like, like you're just another dude to me, <laughs> you know, like. You know, you can shoot a gun. I can shoot a gun. You can go out and stab someone in the yard. I can go out and stab someone in the yard. You're a pretty sharp dude. I'm a pretty sharp dude. I could probably beat you in chess. (laughs) You know, uh, and that was really my mentality that I personally was not really impressed with people it's like i respected who they were i respected their position for sure i respected the game because i was part of the game but i was not the individual that was going out of his way to say hi to you or like if i saw you i saw you and you know if i if you said hi to me i said hi to you and it was cool like and if you did and i didn't take offense to it either you know like I'm sure you have a bunch of things on your mind on how you're trying to circumvent the California Department of Corrections. And that's your life, dog. Like, that's not going to be my life. You know, I've had jobs in Malibu, in Agora Hills, in Brentwood, in Pacific Palisades. Like, my, like I had... A flip side of a different reality. Yes, I was there. Yes, I was uh, in tune where I was at. At the time, I enjoyed, you know, being a gang member and in ignorance. You know, I was with with the flow of what was going on for the right reasons, not for personal gain. You know, I'm 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 the type of boss that ensures that that my employees work and get paid in this COVID-19 scenario. 
in prison, I was always for what was right. Always. It was, be it part of my upbringing or, or what have you. And I was always against uh, these people that wielded their power for the wrong reason. I never respected that. And nor I gave it any attention. And I think that people had a problem with it. It's okay because they weren't willing to confront me about it. So I was fine with it. You know, I, that that's just kind of who I was at, at, at the time. You know, I was at the right places at the right times in that lifestyle as it pertains to. Well, I just wanted to lead off of that. So what was your encounter with God? I mean, what changed your mind about about the Bible or Jesus or, you know, what was your moment? Because it's obvious that you had this compass inside of you, even though, you know, you're involved in gangs, you still had this sense of, of right and wrong and justice and, and doing the right thing. Was there a moment in prison or out of prison when you had an encounter with God or came to a decision about him? Absolutely. I mean, throughout my Entire incarceration, I've heard the gospel. From juvenile hall, I've heard the gospel. Yeah. And there was something always internally that, that I respected it. But I wasn't trying to hear it either. You know, yeah. I would listen to you out of respect. You know, I didn't understand it because I had never read the Bible at the time. Intuitively, I knew that God was a far superior being than I was. And I just didn't want any problems. You know how I reconciled that at the time. I don't really know, but I intuitively, I, I, I knew that, <laughs> you know, so I always heard out the spill, you know, but I, I know that I've been hearing it since juvenile hall. Uh, for me, God did catch me in prison, but it was on an entirely different, uh, field scenario you know i paroled i paroled twice from pelican bay i was out for a period where i discharged my number so i got caught again i went back to prison with a new number like brand new and the crime was a very low i mean it I don't want to say it was low because I got 10 years, you know, no one wants to go to prison for 10 years, but given like my environment and everyone that I grew up with went to prison for life straight up. So, you know, uh, there's a, a rap artist. I don't know if you're familiar with the Nipsey hustle. He recently got killed and he has a hook that says, uh, my homeboy got 12 years. It was a sweet deal. Like, that was our mentality. Like, 12? I'll take it. I'll take Give it, it really me. quick. <laughs> like, that's nothing. Because you know what you're involved in. Right? So, I, I get these 10 years. This is now fast forward to, like, 1999. Uh, this is around the time that I meet my wife. At the time, obviously, she was my girlfriend. Uh, I had already got a four-year uh, prison sentence for selling drugs. And uh, I met my girl. I got involved in something else. And, and uh, I didn't turn myself in. 
So when they finally caught up with me again was the, the time that I described that they raided my my place of residence at the time and, and uh, I proposed to my wife on the floor. Uh, I landed up getting 10 years for that and I went back to prison with a new number. So it's it's like I had an opportunity to go to a low-level prison, which is a level three. It's still cell living and there's still politics, but it's like very watered down. Like I was in the upper tier of prison politics and things that that happen on a day-to-day basis. So now I'm in this different scenario where I'm not liking it because it's not my norm, my norm, my norm, what I, what I deem to be normal. Uh, there's really nothing going on, which is, I've never been to a prison like that. There's always someone getting stabbed on the yard. Something's always happening. And in the morning lights on for yard, you know, it's, that's just the norm. So now I'm, I'm, I get to this prison. I have one of my homeboys. He's there and he comes to me and, and he's like, Hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with this yard. It's a good yard. It's not what you're used to, but you could kick it here and go home if you want. So at this time, uh, I had a, 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 a daughter with, with my wife. I had, uh, three other kids with, with my first relationship. And, uh, you know, the Lord's already dealing with me. Uh, I ran into one of my friends in the reception center and I remember him telling me because there was other people there. They were waiting for me and they wanted to talk to me, uh, because I had been to Pelican Bay and they had been to Pelican Bay. And, uh, I gave him like the first opportunity to talk to because he's my friend. I grew up with them. So I, the minute I come out to the yard, you know, when this is like vivid, I remember him telling me, he's like, Hey dog, like these dudes want to talk to you. He's like, you know what? You don't owe the system anything, but you owe it to your family to get out. And man, that just like permeated my mind. And, you know, the stuff these dudes were talking about was really, like, small potatoes. It was like, we're on a reception yard, bro. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, you ain't going to do nothing. Like, I know you're a lame, homie. You were a lame up in the bay. You're a lame now, homie. Sit down. You know, you don't say this to people, but you think it, and you hear them out, and it came to nothing. But that conversation with my friend stood with me. And when I when I went to my destination, uh, you know, I was I was I was searching. Ironically, I would read Chicken Soup for the Soul. That's funny to me now, uh, because I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian and and we're we're about that book for reals. <laughs> and uh, my pastor would probably clown me right now. <laughs> But, you know, it was my soul. My soul was hungry. I was searching. And I knew that, like, I would always tell like tell myself, like, this can't be my life. Like, this is not me. And uh, I didn't, I, like, in a sense, I didn't respect the game anymore. Like, I found that it was, like, it was fake. Like, these dudes are fake. They're not, they're not really about who they're saying 
they weren't sold out to the lie like I was. I was sold out for the lie. I was willing to do whatever it took if it was just and right. In in total ignorance. None of that stuff is just or right. You know, but that was my modus of op, my 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 my, Your um, MO. my MO, you know, that's that's the the BS I would cloak it on. And uh so I got I this one gunner came from the bay. Uh, he recognized me. He tried to get me kicked off the yard. They found out that I had a previous uh, number. They they uh, called me one time to during a lockdown to the counselor's office, and they're like, "Hey, where did you parole from?" Like they're not gonna randomly ask you that. You know, I've had already been there two and a half years. Like, dude, I already know. You know what time it is, bro? What's up? He's like, I know where you paroled from. I'm like, well, that's great. What's up? He's like, well, I called Sacramento. They're sending me your e-file. He's like, you know your C-file. If there's anything in your C-file, you know you're gone. I'm like, all right, that's fair. You know, like, you're going to do what you're going to do. Like, there's nothing I can do. So that's it. Cool. I'll go back to my cell. So ironically, it turns out that because I had been in the shoe program for so long, that they ha- I had been disciplinary free. I can't beat up on myself. I'm not going to beat myself. He's a good dude. There's no disciplinary. I have zero 115s. So now it works in the reverse. Now they have to deduct all these points from me because I've been clean for so long. So now it, it kind of gets, in my mind, worse for me because now I'm going to a level one facility. I go to uh, a committee, I think it's called UCC, before the warden. The warden is doing the committee. And the dude tells me, like, hey, you know what, man? I I really want to thank you for for not causing any drama here. He's all like, I know what someone like you is capable of doing. He's like, I'm going to send you wherever you want to go. And he had a map of the prison system in California, and there was only two places I could go, really, now that I think about it. And he had them outlined with the highlighter. And he's all, these are these are secure level ones. And, you know, I'm like, in, internally, I'm like laughing secure level one. What does that mean, a secure <laughs> level one? He's all, The food's good, bro. He's all, well, all that means is that there's a gate around the prison and that they have gunners. I'm like, all right, well, that's great. You know, like, it's nothing that I haven't seen. <laughs> but now I'm going to this level one, so it's Tehachapi, which is close to L.A. And that's when the Lord really starts working on me. I get there, and my neighbor, I'm super frustrated that I'm there. It's dorm living. I had never been in, in a dorm setting. So I got all these people around me, and, and you know, I'm, I'm feeling really weird. I can't sleep at night. And my neighbor's been a longtime Christian. He was a, a, a what we would call a, a, a paisano, someone who was born in Mexico uh, that is not from a gang. So in prison, there's like, like uh, they call them cars. Like, you're from this car. Uh, I'm from Los Angeles, so I'm a sureño. There's norteños blacks and there's different factions of blacks and whites and then the 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 paisas is a car of its own 
but they're in allegiance with uh, Southern Mexicans. Anyhow, uh, this guy starts drilling me with the Bible, but the dude is like, he's just a sharp guy. So he hits me intellectually at first, and I like his intellect, so that's what drew me to him. And then he starts asking me these, like these questions, and I just I'll find, found myself, you know, like uh, not arguing with him, but just not in agreement with him trying to push God on me. So, but I really like the guy. So I, this is a level two yard. I land up going to a level one yard, and you know I'm still not saved. I'm still up to no good. I'm still trying to circumvent the the CDC myself and uh I some I get my my visits taken away from me because I'm suspected of smuggling drugs into the institution and you know because I'm a little bit sharper than they would like to think. I never had possession of it. But they knew that it was me. Long story short, they, they, they give me a 115. They do this unorthodox move where they immediately move me from the yard. Typically, you have to go to ICC to, and they say you're leaving. That didn't happen. I go back to that yard. Uh, during this time, my wife grew up in the church and uh, she's visiting me every weekend. She comes to visiting one day and tells me, I'm not going to visit you on Sundays no more. And man, I felt like my world was ending. I was like, well, why not? She's, uh, I'm going to go to church. And I was like, man, you're going to go to church. So I had Christian friends. And, you know, again, this, I, I know that God is bigger than me. I know God is more powerful than me. So I'm not saying nothing about it. I'm just listening. I come back to the yard. I confer with my Christian friends. And they're like, oh, yeah, you don't want to get in, in the middle of that, man. Like, if you love her, you're just going to have to take that. Because if God, if you get in the way of that, God will remove you from her life. Oh, wow. So, you know, like, I'm a fairly smart guy. I don't want that. So I'm like, all right, cool. You're going to go to church. But I try to always outwit her. So God says, okay, I have a different plan for you. I'm going to take your visits away from you. So that happens. God takes my visits away from me. Now my wife can't come to see me. She's my girlfriend at the time. So a, a period of uh, three and a half months passed. And now she's immersed in the church and, you know, she's she's growing in her Christian faith. And I find myself like desperately with the hole in my heart and she's telling me that she's reading the Bible. So I'm like, cool, why don't you send me a Bible? So I start reading this Bible and every time I read it, I find myself crying and and I'm kind of looking around to see that no one's looking at me because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and and I'm like, man, I don't know that I want to read this book, man. Every time I read it, like, I'm crying. Like, what's up with this? So there was these Christians. They were, like, all in cahoots. They're, they're, they're all working on me. They're praying for me. They're ministering to me. But I was, like, a 
peculiar individual to be in that level of a prison. So they, they feared me not because it was just my quietness that really like, like they knew because these guys were already coming down from, from the top coming down. They had already been in prison for a lot of years. So in a setting like that, I'm very easy to pick apart both from the CDC aspect and from the general population. And, you know, like I'm just going through it. The Lord's dealing with me. I just want to be left alone. I don't care who's there. Like, that's not my concern. I'm, I'm trying to find Raz at this point, you know? So I remember this one time they called for chapel to go to church and I like just desperately jump up. I grab my Bible. I put it in my jacket. I'm like, trying to hide the Bible, supposedly. I don't know from who. There's no one on this yard that's a threat. But that was, I remember that's what was going on. And and I run to the chapel, and I'm like right there in line. And I see like the gooners are there. The gooners are are, are like the, the police of the police of, of the CDC. Like the, they're like the Gestapo. And uh, there was this, this, officer his name was Sonny Perez and and the homies had stabbed this guy in the eye he he didn't have an eye so he hated southern mexicans and he uh he used to call me uh the sleeper he's like hey you're you're a sleeper huh and uh the sleeper is a term that's used for people that that work their way down to a low level prison to find someone and move on them because no one can get to them. So they play like they're asleep. Uh, and that's what he would call me. And, you know, that was just not the truth. So I was smart enough to just write him off. And, you know, I, like the Lord's dealing with me. I'm I'm not really trying to entertain you, dude. Like you're just mad because you got stabbed in the eye. Too bad. So sad for you was my attitude at that time. And uh, so now I'm going to church. And, man, I'm I'm liking it. But at, at that church, at that particular uh, chapel, it's like all kinds of denominations go. So, you know, that I didn't know how to discern all that. You know, I, I was just going to hear the word. And this one guy, it's a real famous uh, preacher, Bobby Mikado. Mm. He's like a, a, a gutter ex-gang member. Like, like God knew who to send my way. And he's preaching, you know, he's like one of those old gangsters that, that like, he calls fake, fake, and real, real. And, and you know, he, he's a powerful instrument for God. And he's preaching the sermon on the prodigal son. And I'm listening to it. And I'm, I'm just crying. I'm in tears. And, like, I had already been going to church for, like, three months or so, four months. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, dude, I'm like, I'm sold. I'm ready to do this. Like, <laughs> make this altar call, dude. Like, what's <laughs> up? Like, I'm ready to do it. And he gets to this point where he uh, he says, uh, how many of, how many of you have daughters? And I had two daughters at the time. And he's like, would you want your daughters to be with someone like you? And, like, my whole life flashed before me, like, the ugliness of, of, of 
who I was at the time. And instantly I was like, heck no, I wouldn't want my daughters to be with someone like me. And, you know, he, he hit part of his pitch was like, well, you need to change and you're not going to change by yourself. And he gave the gospel and, you know, it, it it wasn't like very mystic the way it happened. It, it just, but it happened. And intellectually, I understood it. God did a work by the spirit. It happened. And, and, and my experience in, 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 in my salvation experience was like a Pauline experience. Like it was instant. Like I disassociated myself. Like I never got involved in anything that like it was just like a switch turned on and I was on this side. I'm not on this side no more. But, you know, also because of my lifestyle, I knew that once I came to this side, it was over. Like, you cannot come back. It's a wrap. So I think in, in that time that the Lord was dealing with me, that was my pride. It was my pride that, that God was dealing with, which, like, in hindsight, I'm like, what what did I let go of? A lie. Straight up, like... Man, Lord, why didn't you come for me sooner? <laughs> Type of a deal. And, you know, it, it, I don't want to, I don't remember it being so emotional at the time. It was It was more uh, intellectual understanding that I was a sinner and, and that I was just a very ugly person and that I was in a very dark place. And, and God was saying, hey, I'm going to wipe all that away. Put your faith in me and I got you. And I just understood that. And I wanted that. I needed that. And that's how it happened. That's, that's how awesome. it happened. And I've never looked back. I've <laughs> never looked back. That's awesome, dude. And, and for me on the outside, it, I can see how God sort of used the people in your life on one side. He used the people on the inside, you know, who were ministering to you. I used the Bible to reach your understanding and, and get your mind. And then he delivered the message and, you know, you, you became a believer and they were convinced. And I've got my own story about how I came to the Lord too. And it, it took me a while, you know, different lifestyle, but uh, I had my own pride and my own things holding me back. But um, that's a really awesome story. Thank, thanks for sharing. Casey, obviously, as a similar story, which uh, brought us together. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's interesting how God just puts it all together. And it's always at the right time. It's always the right people that he, that he selects to talk wisdom to us, to speak into our lives. And um, I'm always amazed that he always uses people that you never thought God would use. But there are the very people that were prepared long time ago to give us the gospel in truth as is, because I, I think that's just that's so important. And, you know, uh, we're looking at churches today that are watering it down, and that's just I mean that's just facts. There's a leave it alone with people, and anything will get watered down long enough, and they'll water it down. And I think what we need. Today is a reality that, that 
to speak from pulpits, from Bible studies, and you don't necessarily need a pulpit. You just need to have that Bible in your heart and to speak into to the lives of people of how dark sin is in, in, in our lives. And you do it in love. You, deal, you do it prayed up, but you speak it in truth. And I think that, you know, look, I, I learned, I like what uh, Charles Swindle said long, uh, a while back ago. He was talking about uh, witnessing. He said that the, the, the moment that he finally figured, and this is like 30 years into him pastoring, being a, a believer and everything, and he says, the moment that I figured out that I couldn't change anybody, that was the most freeing moment because I can't change nobody's mind. I can't save a single soul. But when I understood that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the heart of sin, and it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to repentance, like genuine repentance. And that's why I believe that when 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 the heart's ready, like in, in your case, right? It's like a switch. It really is. It's boom. And, and you're done with that lifestyle. You're done with, with, with all the, you know, whatever that is. You don't necessarily have to have lived the, you know, the game and the gang game and the prison game and all that stuff, prison politics. You could just be trapped as an executive, whatever, out here. You could be a CEO of a multi-billion-dollar you know, company, and you're just as much in prison as the guy that's in the 8 by 10 and that's just facts. And until we fi- find out for ourselves that we are dark and that our sin is like foul before the Lord, and we come to the and we draw to the conclusion that we are in need, in desperate need of God, then the switch comes on. The real switch comes on, and 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 the decision has to be made whether we're going to repent and turn from our wicked ways and go the opposite direction. And I think when we do that, that's when the, the true change starts to develop. And it's baby steps. You know, that, that's, that's another thing, too. That's a whole other element. Um, because there's a whole, learning, a whole learning curve from that. You know, uh, uh, I, I share a story with uh, bringing Angel back into this. We were at a gym. Um, at a, I think it's a 24-hour fitness one, the one uh, on the 101, Studio City, is that a 24? Or a LA Fitness, whatever it is. And um, <laughs> he had just came to the Lord. And, you know, <laughs> we're at 6 in the morning, we're at the gym. And, uh, you know, in these bigger gyms, you got to check in with a little, little scanner thing, you know, a little keychain thing. And we both scanned our thing and we're going upstairs uh, to hit some weights. And, uh, this dude that worked there didn't see Angel, um, scan his key. And he calls him out. He says, Hey, uh, you need to go back to the desk and, you know, show that you have a membership. I know he had a, a membership. I was there with him when he put the key in there, right? Showed the key to, to the attendant. And Angel had just got out not too long ago. So his mentality, you know the mentality. Even today, I mean, you struggle with it. Um, I think every single one of us struggles with that. Somebody will always, at some point, get in our face, say the wrong things, and uh, I hope that you're prepared you know, to, to, to do what Paul did and die to self because it's very easy to just 
get back in the flesh and take care of business. And and I see his angels look and and he looks at the dude and he looks at me. And I already know what, you know, what he's thinking. I'm a little bit more mature. I've been in the Lord a lot longer than he has at that moment. And I said, just, just go scan it, bro. <laughs> and he looks at me and, and he has a he has a hard time, obviously. He's young in the Lord. He he doesn't understand the, the, the concept at this time. And he, you know, thank God he goes, scans his key. And then we're upstairs and I'm spotting him, bench pressing. And you know that 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 awkward feeling that it's in the air. It's almost like you're back in the yard type of deal. It's in the air, something's about to happen. You feel the uneasiness and, and I could only imagine the thoughts that the enemy's throwing at him, you know. You're going to let that pass. You know, do nothing. That kind of thing. And I had to break the ice immediately from that. And, he's, you know, I'm spotting him and he's bench pressing. And I lean over to, <laughs> I lean over to him and I said, um, my trunk is big enough, bro. And we just started laughing. We just started busting up laughing. And I knew that I needed to use this kind of humor to get him back to just reality, reality. Let, let's let that go. You know, we're going to deal with that. And when I, and in fact, God allowed us to use that, that moment to bring it back out here. You're always going to have situations like that from time to time. Unfortunately, the enemy knows, and you got to be a mature individual. Number one to the Lord, Number two, you, you can't do those things anymore. You just really can't. And and you got to submit to his lord his lordship and say, that's not me anymore. I'm going to look like a punk in a minute, but that's not me anymore. And that's a hard, uh, that's, I have found that that, to, to me, that's the hardest point. Even, and I've been in the Lord for a long time now. I still have those moments from time to time, I you know, because you're going to feel like a punk, like you didn't take care of business with, with homeboy or whatever the case might be. But the bigger factor is I belong to Christ. And if I do something to this dude, I'm going to miss out on walking my daughter down the aisle. I'm gonna, And you got to look at it this way. I think so. I, I really do. I'm going to miss out if I, I, I could easily. Go back, have a flashback, a moment, and I know myself. But I'm going to miss out on walking out my daughter down the aisle. I'm going to miss out on my my son's graduation. I'm going to disappoint so many people that gave me the right hand of fellowship. My, My testimony is going to be in the toilet. And a lot of people are counting on me. But most, most of all, I'm going to mess up his name. For that moment, in my heart, with whatever action I'm, uh, uh, if I take that that route, and I think it's important to to really, you know, you, you're out here, and those changes have to be made, and 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 it's a progress, man. It's it's a whole, you know, that it's it's, <laughs> it's baby steps all the way well, through. It's look, it's the same for White Boy Roy, man. You don't you don't want to <laughs> see this glow up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I try to I try to set out warnings, you know, let people know when yeah, yeah. in the room. 
kind of the reason I stopped working out is because I got so big. Yeah, yeah. I was coming in. I was intimidating people. You know, things got out of hand. Yeah. So I just stopped. I wanted to calm down. I want to bring it down a level. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, so I, I totally relate. I mean, it's the same with me, you know, and people. <laughs> no. L- l- listen, uh, hey, hey, just just so you know. No, but what, you but haven't... what it is, what it is, though, it's, just, it's just respect. And every yeah, yeah. man desires respect. Everybody wants a little respect. You yeah. Know, whoever yeah. you are whether you're on the job you're working or you're at the 7-eleven or you're or doing whatever so that's what it comes down to just for the record you've never seen his gangster walk <laughs> white boy roy as a gangster lean brother that that's uh, right. hey if you've been to the bay i don't care where you've been that walk right there that's it bro you're gonna sit down and hey Whatever was happening <laughs> whatever white boy roy wants right boy he gets that's that's it you know no man, that that's good stuff, man. I appreciate you, man, for for giving us the time. And we're gonna wrap it up, but one question. Yes, sir. Pinocchio, you still know how to play Pinocchio? Absolutely. You didn't forget? Count Trump and everything. <laughs> that's one thing. I you know what? I I I loved it, and uh, I haven't played it for a long time. And uh, I think I could, you know, get a refresher course. Yeah. And I'll get back into the game. Little cheat sheet. Little cheat sheet. And, uh, you know, count the jackets, put a bid, and let's get let's get going. I think me and uh, you and uh, some of the fellows need to do a just a, a one-game thing with a little little spread. What, what do you think? Yeah, Make it happen it. or what? Make it happen. <laughs> nah, man. Hey, hey, it was good having you here, Raz Brown. Hey, uh, much respect to what you're doing in life. Um, you know, as a family man, a business owner, God's blessed your life, brother. Thank that's you. that's that's just um, that's reality. He's redeemed you, and um, your evidence, bro, that that anybody can change, that anybody can turn to God, and God's gonna do an amazing thing on their, in their life. And in in, you know, I want to end like this. Um, what would you say to a young dude that is contemplating a a life of crime, a life of, you know, they have that expectation of, uh, I want to get up there. What would you say to that young man? I've had I've had several uh, conversations with people in that, in those, uh, in that thought process, and, and really, it's uh, it's count the cost. It's not going to be worth it in the end. And I, I think we're we're living in an era where. You know, the game is super watered down, and and it's very easy to make those distinctions. Uh, But ultimately, you're uh, going to live a lie, and very, very quickly, you're going to find out that it's not what you thought it was. and It it might be too late in the sense that uh, you'll have to serve the Lord in prison. You know, I, I know for myself, uh, my consequences of sin are, are, are to go back to prison. And I'm cool with that. Like, I, I don't want to go back to prison. And, you know, by, by God's grace, again, you know, I've, I've been surrounded by people who, who really love the Lord, fear the Lord. Uh, they're about really opening that that word and, and allowing the spirit to to transform uh, who they are 
you know, uh, I'm surrounded with people that don't call sign any blank checks, you know, sin is sin, and and they're going to call it what it is in love, and, you know, they're going to let me know that I'm wrong, and, you know, that's that's really a fruitful life for me because, again, nothing's perfect, you know, we're, we're not always going to have a good moment, you know, life is very real, very challenging, those uh, challenges come in, in, in many ways, ways, shapes, and, and forms, and, you know, you really, you really need to, to have that, that word in you, you know, to allow the Holy Spirit to, to help you make certain decisions in your life, you know, and, and, you know, we're faulty, we're faulty men, we're faulty individuals, but at the end of the day, if, if, if you have that word in you, He's going to bring it back to remembrance and he's going to guide you. He's going to give you that way of escape, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it's going to be contrary to your pride and who you think you are. You know, I've come to find out that I'm really nobody. (laughs) That's just the truth. You know, Uh, God has given me responsibilities and and I try to look at my life in, in that light, what God has entrusted me with. You know, everything isn't, uh, you know, let's be out here and life is going to be good and we're going to make a bunch of money and do this and that. You know, uh, I, I certainly believe that there are byproducts of, of hard work and and whatnot, but it's not, if you have a, a, a meaningful relationship with God and you understand your, your falling condition, you know, you're you're gonna live a life of gratitude, of of really knowing that you don't deserve anything, but God in His faithfulness provides all things, you know, that pertain to life and godliness, you know. So I would I would yeah. say that. Amen, amen. Uh, just wanted to say to all our listeners, you know, you're from the Los Angeles area. Thank you for joining us on the Shock Holler podcast. You know, we're going to have some uh, true life stories, as always, in this podcast that will always rotate. And at the end of this, every story, Christ is at the end of every story. He's in the beginning and he's in the end. And uh, these are the stories that we're going to bring to you continually um, in different types of walks of of life. Um, We're going to point to Christ, to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. And I want to thank our guest, uh, Erasmo, um, a.k.a. What's Happening. Uh, Ray is, uh, you know, uh, th- that always makes me uh, laugh, bro. Uh, that's a, that's hilarious. But thank you for coming on our show, man. Um, you know, and, and if you're from L.A. and you need some construction done, the dude doesn't need it because he just, he, just, he just got it like that. God has blessed his life. But, hey, there's always room, right? So if you're from L.A., uh, San Fernando Valley or Los Angeles at large, um, make sure that you contact Reset Los Angeles. Reset Los Angeles. Ask for uh, for Raz. And, um, man, you're going to be in good hands uh, uh, in, in the construction game. Uh, the dude uh, is a talented individual, very honest, very hardworking, and um, I know him personally. So uh, I don't just uh, co-sign on anybody, but this dude's a real deal. So hey, um, if you're out there, 
contact them any any kind of need any construction need make sure you call him uh reset los angeles uh for those out there he's on uh instagram under reset los angeles you could uh, contact him there a uh, phone number um uh what's the best phone number to it's uh 818-209-2650 818-209-2650 and thank you very much for having us it was a pleasure uh I'm looking forward to the podcast to come. I know them personally. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, yeah. Joe, man? Thank you, brother. Raz, thank you so much for sharing your story and coming in and spending so much time with us. I appreciate it. It's going to be a big inspiration to a lot of people. So thanks, man, and God bless you. Likewise, brother. Thank you very much. Till the next time, uh, make sure that you tell all your friends and family the Shot Collar Podcast. Got to tune in. Subscribe, put that subscribe button right there. Push it, kick it, slam it, whatever it needs to do. Just join. Amen. Uh, so, hey, till next time, God bless you. And Jesus, put, put him first.